say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. Hello everyone and welcome to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo and ho 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 he's back. Yes sir. Yes ma'am he sure is. Dr. Michael J. Colburn. The number one downloaded show in the history of A New Direction returns. He comes back. We go, where has he been? Where is he? You know what you do is you call Dr. Michael up on the phone and you go, hey, I'm in a bind here. Would you mind uh, wanting to do a part two of the show? I get this email back. Sure, I've got time. I'm actually a little busy, but it happens to be when your show's on, I'm free. I'm like, oh yeah, it's bigger than me because he's bigger than me. He's Dr. Michael Colburn. The book, Own Your Job. Folks, I want to tell you something about this book. Now, don't, the, the title says own your job. I know, three words, right? But here's the thing. Whatever job you have, whatever your title of your job is, right? You can lead. You can lead and you should be leading. You should be leading from your job. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you do. I don't care how old you are. You should be leading from your job. And I know what you're going to say. But I'm just a, but I'm just a, but I'm just a. <clears throat> Listen to me, you just us. Okay, <laughs> for just a second here. All right. You're not just a. You have a huge purpose in this life, and that's what we're going to talk about today, right? But before we get to Michael, let's do this, right? We're talking about our training, right? Hey, listen, four areas of our life, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you know the, you know the drill, right? How is your training going, right? Because we're all in training right now, physically. Scale of one to 10, one's miserable, 10's outstanding in your training. And if I ask you physically, how would you rate your training this past week? right? On a scale of one to 10. And you say, well, I don't know what you mean by training. You mean just exercise? No, I'm not meaning just exercise. I'm talking about getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, eating the right things, right? That's what I'm talking about physically, right? I mean, and and then when it comes to your exercise, I'm not talking about doing crazy stuff in your exercise. I'm talking about moderate exercise, getting out, taking a walk, you know, maybe doing a few push-ups. Stretching is great, right? So if you were to rank your physical self in that area of training, how would you rate yourself, right? Five's average, right? Hold on to that number, right? Second number, let's talk about your mental training, right? Do you know what is not mental training? Watching the news and watching TV is not mental training because you know what that makes you? That makes you a mental loafer, <laughs> okay? Because, you see, you're not taking being an active participant in your mental training. You are not growing by watching the TV and the news. That's, that's not growth. You want to know what growing is? Picking up a book, reading it, and then wait for it, apply it to your life. That's mental growth. 
And I don't care what I don't care what the book is. It could be a book on your business. It could be a book uh, on on a number of other things. It could be uh, your marriage. It could be on other relationships. It could be a number of things. Anything that you are growing to enhance your wisdom, your knowledge, and your understanding of something, right? That you're in or you want to go into. It could be an instrument. It could be music. It could be a number of things that can enhance your brain and make it grow. But you got to be an active participant. So how would you rate your training? Scale of one to ten. All right, second number. All right, so then third area, emotional. By the way, since we've, we're in a pandemic, uh, every day is an emotional day of training. It really is. You know, here's, here's the thing, right? I tell it to you every week, right? What do the Special Operations Forces guys that I've interviewed on this show have said, right? Whether it's Delta Force, Navy SEALs, uh, uh, Green Berets. You know what they've said? They've said all the same thing. You know what? You never rise to the occasion when you're under pressure, you only fall back to the level of your training when you're under fire. So the truth of the matter is when it comes to your emotional well-being, and there's a lot of stuff going on in our world right now, not just the pandemic, it comes down to two questions. One, how well are you able to control your emotions under this pressure and stress? It's one. That's your training every day is your training. How well are you controlling your emotions? And then two, right, how well are you able to truly understand the emotions of someone else? Can you really tap in and understand their emotions? Can you really can you really understand what they're trying to say to you? Not just the words. I'm talking about what they're feeling behind them. And a lot of times the reason that we don't know those things is because we don't have the emotional vocabulary <clears throat> to be able to understand people. This gives you an opportunity to expand your emotional vocabulary. If you do those two things well, you're, you know, so that's that's part of your emotional training. So how would you rate yourself on your emotional training? Scale of 1 to 10, right? So then the last area, the spiritual area, right? You know, the truth of the matter is when it comes to being spiritual, we all are spiritual. Whether you want to uh, agree with me or not on that, the fact of the matter, it is because there is something inside you that is unexplainable that causes us to persevere when we probably shouldn't persevere. We have faith in stuff that we can't see, but yet we believe that can happen or will happen because we've made plans in that way, even though it hasn't happened yet. We have something that tends to settle us in the midst of chaos. That's spiritual, right? Something that brings us back to center, something that um, is it seems to be outside of ourselves that is unexplainable, right? That's being spiritual. That it. You know, for some people it's God, for some people it's meditation, for some people it's nature, for some it, it could be a number of things, right? Mm-hmm. Two questions when it comes to your training: Is it working? Is the first question. Is it working? Are you getting back to center of who you are? Are you getting back to a place of peace in the midst of chaos? Is it working? And then how faithful are you to it? To making sure that you're doing those things. You know, whether it's prayer or or meditation or walking in nature or whatever it is for you. Are you being dedicated to it? How would you rate your training? So you got four areas, right? Those four areas are kind of like the legs of a chair. If the legs of the chair are uneven, makes your posture crooked and that over time hurts us, you know, immensely. And at the same time, if our chair legs are too low, we can't eat healthily right which is also a problem for us but speaking of someone 
my friend, I get to call him friend. Gosh, it's so awesome to call him friend. His name is Dr. Michael J. Colburn, and uh, I get to call him Michael. Uh, he's a performance improvement consultant, and he is an author. He has spent over 30 years of his career working with organizational leaders on implementing and s- sustainable change to improve performance of the organization, teams, and in, at individual levels. Michael has his has used his unique view of performance improvement to develop leaders, their workforce, and implement strategic plans to improve systems and processes. He has taught as lecturer at Department of Industrial and Systems Engineering, adjunct instructor at Otterbein University, Capital University, and the list goes on and on and on in Ohio. He's got all his degrees, right, including his PhD from The Ohio State University. We had a tough one the other night. Um, (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) uh, He lives with his wife, Connie, in Columbus, Ohio, and they spend time with uh, seven children, 11 grandchildren, and he is just awesome, and uh, he's an avid tennis fan, and uh, and, uh, he's been to the U.S. Open in Wimbledon just to have some fun. Please welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A New Direction, Dr. Michael Colburn. Welcome back, Michael. Thank you, and we have to update my uh, bio I now have the twelfth grandchild. Really? Congrat! Oh, that's right. That's and right. His, right. That's right. Today, today, Aiden is six months old. He's my twelfth. What wow. a sweetie pie! You know. That's awesome. And, and his his uh, mother, my youngest daughter, is a infectious disease doctor. Okay. I state, and so we pick up Aiden a number of times at childcare, and and uh, when she's working late, which is a lot of people in medical area are doing. Right. Jump in there, and it's uh, it's been a a, a a labor of joy. You That's know, awesome. See, it's really great to see your grandson each week. That's you know awesome. And I can't tell you. I'm just uh, so uh, his name is Aiden Colburn. So you can uh, uh, up, update your bio on. <laughs> All right, we'll have to update. We will definitely update the bio on uh, yeah. because He's, now we've got Aiden. Right? Yeah, we got twelve. You got twelve. You got you got a full yeah, quiver. Yeah. You got a full quiver there. Right. So last time we were on the show, and by the way, number one downloaded show in wow. the history of A New Direction. Number number one. And I mean, it's not close. Wow. I just want to let you know, it's not close. So we talked about this. We kind of talked about a how-to on Own Your Job, and we talked about some of the self-management principles that you have involved. We talked a little bit about the leadership aspect of it. Yeah. But I started to think about, okay, so... All right, own my job, leadership, self-management. You know, wh- why why should that be important to me as an employee or anybody, you know, regardless of my job? Why should this be important to me? You know, um, from an individual standpoint, you know, it's funny. I, I go back into my own history when I was, uh, and I never used the word just a, but my first job where I had no formal leadership um responsibilities. Um, I found that uh, I really enjoyed industrial engineering and I was good at it. And I, I found that, that my boss, great bosses, but didn't always know things. I didn't want to put the burden of making decisions on what I do with my boss who may not know everything I can do. And I think, I think one of the big whys, and, and, and this is just coming off the top of my head is when we live a life of meaning, you know, we are taking the best of us to create something that goes beyond us. That there, 
I think a purpose-filled life is really behind it all. And when I turn that over to somebody else to make that decision, I'm the only person that can really decide what is my purpose and what am I, when I leave this earth, what am I supposed to leave behind? And I think there's, there is a big a spiritual basis to this. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I agree. I, the, the, the thing that <clears throat> struck me as I was reading through this book again and the second time I'd gone through the notes, and you said something that's really profound, is that so often we let the job title determine our purpose rather than we taking charge of our purpose and redefining what that is. Well put. I agree completely. You know, there's certain organizations that don't even have many job titles. Right. You know, and and, and because sometimes the job titles get in the way. Um, right. The other thing, you know, people complain a lot about their organizations, and and there's some, probably some good reasons for that. But, you know, Jay, one thing I learned, particularly as both as a when I worked within an organization, as well as when I was a consultant organization, you know, I'd work with the leaders on how do you build a culture that is that brings out the best in people, uh, that that uh, helps them grow as well as taking care of the needs of the customer, and um, I, I think. Uh, that's really driving it. And I found that sometimes I'd be, I'd be working with frontline people or anybody in the job. And I'd hear them complain about their boss or the restrictions they felt on themselves. And I really heard that and felt for them. But you know, Jay, the last thing I ever want to do is to help people embrace victimhood, Mm. which means, and, and basically giving up their, ability and power to make their own way in this world. And, and that in the work world was a pretty big one. And so I would say to someone, say someone was, uh, they knew I knew the president of the company. So they would sometimes ask me to, they would give me an injustice and they'd say, you know, basically asking me to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, well, you know, Jay, it sounds like you're having problems with your boss. And the trouble with that, Jay, is your boss isn't here. So I can't work with your boss. Um, so so what, what, let me suggest another approach. Let me work with you on working with your boss, you know? And, and I think uh, to put the ownership back on them. Now, I want to be supportive of them. Sure. I want to help them. I don't want to just say, suck it up. But, uh, but you know, you got to take responsibility. Right. And I've learned this in my own personal career, both as a uh, engineer or a manager, uh, as well as a consultant. What I've learned is the behavior of the job holder has much greater impact on the behavior of the boss than they think it is. Right. I had this, I had this go ahead. I had this one plant manager. I'll give you a quick story. Sure. And his glass company, the first time I had some responsibility, it was a thousand miles from the home office. And and if you would, he would not make the the manager's hall of fame. <laughs> he did a lot of things wrong. And, and because he would berate people in front of other people and stuff like that. But he was a good person. And, uh, and some of us, he would never do that to. We wouldn't let him do it to us, you know. And so I would come in and he was a person who was not, 
He turned out to be one of my best bosses. He was not a mentor and he did not give me clear expectations. And I was like 24 years old, 25 years old. And so I decided when I first interviewed with him, because I got a promotion to go down to this plant. When I first interviewed with him, he gave me really good information. He said, Michael, because I'd worked on some projects down there. He said, Michael, in this job, you're going to have to learn to say no to people. And one of those people might be me. Hmm. I took him at his heart. So he, he come in and asked me to do something kind of dumb that wasn't helping the company, you know, or doing something that really wasn't the right way to do it. I, I was always prepared for it. And I found out that even though you might tick off people at times, when you're coming from a position of integrity and performance, you know, you need to open up your mouth. You need to open up your behaviors to take care of that. Mm. And he, in many ways, he was the best boss I ever had, even though he probably wasn't as great boss with other people, you know? We're talking with uh, Dr. Michael Colburn, author of Own Your Job. Uh, and, um, you know, one of the things in this book that you, and by the way, I, I'm not going to, I mean, I may quote a chapter for something like that if I see something like that, but, you know, the truth of the matter is you and I have kind of been down these roads. You, this book is, really starts out with that we have a higher purpose. And I, and I was thinking about, I was in the gym probably, this is three or four years ago, 90-year-old man, 90 plus. He may have been 93. He was in the gym and he heard that I wrote books and asked me about my writing and those type of things. And I said, you know, I, you know, I'm really trying to help people find their purpose and their place and their passions in this world. And he looked at me and he said, I don't believe that people have purpose. And I, I, my heart sank because he's, he's 90, he's lived for 93 years on this planet with evidently without a purpose. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if people are, people are listening all over the world, right, right now to this show, you know, I guess the question I would want to ask them is, if you were to take a look at your job right now, do you, A, know what your purpose is, and are you, are you happy with that purpose? Right. I mean, right, I mean, because that's really kind of the crux of your book here is... Right. Because you're not talking to the CEO as much as you're talking to, I mean, you are, but I mean, really it's for whoever the job holder is, whatever that job is. And, you know, I opened up the show with saying, you know, so often so many people are saying, I'm just a, I'm right. just a, right? And th there's nothing that as a psychological professional, there's probably nothing that kind of gets into my heart harder than when people say, well, I'm just a, you're not. Because what you've just said when uh, you say I am just a means that you feel that you have less value than anyone else regardless of what their title or their job is. Right. But we, but I think what you try to bring about in this book is that it doesn't matter. You're First of all, you're not a just a and it doesn't matter because there is something bigger for you. But you kind of have to grab the bull by the – I'm going to use – my farm boy acronym, but you're going to kind of have to grab the bull by the horns. Absolutely. Because you're the only one that knows it, you know? And, and I, I found, you know, when we were talking about the tools, uh, I found that uh, like on the performance agreement, you know, it started out as being a process I used with companies, mm. not with individuals. 
it was helping the company find out what is your purpose? What is your mission? What is it that you contribute to the, to the world? Right. And then all the benefits, profit, things like that will come after that. You know, right. It's like Dr. Deming, the famous Dr. Deming in quality, you know, he said, focus first on quality and productivity will come along. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. And, and my experience as an engineer and as a consultant, hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that, you know, because if you, if you learn to do that, so the process I, I came up with in the book started out working with companies. And so, uh, and I find out the questions I, so I had them go out like a company. I'll have them go out and talk to their customers. Don't send a survey out, right. go out and talk to them and ask them some questions, basically finding out what, what value do we need to create for you to make this a good relationship? You know, mm, what are your okay. needs and ex- expectations for us? You know, and also what do we do well, you know, and how can we maybe leverage that? If you look at all the questions ha- have individuals talk about their internal customers, internal teammates, the same exact questions, you know, and, and I think uh, asking those questions about, you know, what do I do well to create value for you? What are your needs and expectations? How can we really work together? I find that what comes out of that is more than a piece of paper. Right. Yeah, you're you know, right. You're right. It, it comes out is there's a respectful relationship that, that we're on. The, you know, here today, everyone's saying we're all on the same team. And I hope we are. But by doing those things there, even people who I used to <laughs> teach people how to do these interviews and they'd be afraid to go out and talk to that person they had some problem with, you know. Right. And I said, you know, I've never lost a life yet. You know, <laughs> you know, you know they never, they never send anyone back in a body sack. You right, know, right. And but what, you know, what surprises them, Jay? They'll come back to me, and I said, you know, I talked to so and so. It could be it was a team that they had to provide service to, and they are completely blown away of how well the interview went. Wow. Because I say, when you ask a question, there's only two follow-up questions you can a- ask. You know, so I'm talking to you about what are your needs and expectations for me? Right. And the follow-up questions are, can you elaborate on that? Can you tell me more? Right. Can you clarify what you mean by quality? And and you, and even if they say something completely wild, the only thing you say is thank you. That's you awesome. Know? And we and it's and so you people are used to people coming back, right? You know, yeah. and that is disarming. To people but it's also the figure out says this person really wants to know right you know and right. and that person that was an sob working with them last week on that project now becomes someone who spill their guts out to you in, right. in the best sense of the word and and shares information and are much more um flexible and sensible than we give them credit for his name's Dr. Michael Colburn. The book is entitled Own Your Job. It's more than that. It's taking lead. It's finding your passion. It's finding your purpose. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, listen, I want to tell you something. You know, I've got these great sponsors, Epic Physical Therapy, who is is opening places all over the Research Triangle Park. By the way, you know they work with professional athletes? Yeah, I mean, professional athletes come from all over the world to go specifically to Epic Physical Therapy. Why? Because they're just that good. Seriously, it's where I go. It's where, uh, you know, I listen, I still train. I think I'm 20-something, 
clearly my body is not and it tells me that every day in the aches and pains that I have. And so I have to go see them. And I have to go see Heidi and Andrew who own Epic Physical Therapy and their team. It's an elite team. They understand your needs. Trust me, they do. If you just want to even move and feel a little better, you know, Lee's there and she can help you stretch and, and work on some of your uh, building some muscle and, and getting you better and more fit. You know what? They understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. That's been my experience. That's been everyone's experience. So when you're ready for epic relief, epic recovery, and epic results, don't look any further. Don't start anywhere else. Start with my friends at Epic Physical Therapy. You can learn more by going to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You know what? For over 35 years, yes, over 35 years, they've stayed at the top of the real estate game. How do you do that? Most companies are done before 30. Well, she understood and back in the 80s, this is the mid-80s, when interest rates were like 18%, for those of you who are old enough to remember that. So here's the deal. She understood that the most powerful thing that she has in her control is relationships. More so than clever marketing or, you know, you know, clever ads and all that. Develop the relationship. Understand what's really important. Understand that, you know what? Every home is filled with memories, more so than dollars. And then she built her team on those principles that we are going to uh, take pride in every single relationship. We're going to focus on this place that's created all these amazing memories, right? Because you, you listen, for all of us who have grandparents, I can still remember my grandparents' house. I can. I can still remember it. I can still remember every memory, it seems like, in there, right? It's that powerful, and that's been how many years? So listen, when you're ready to go with the memory maker, when you're ready to go with the relationship maker, the, the one who, whose customers say that she is a legend in customer service, talk to Linda Craft and team when it comes to your real estate needs. It's really simple. Just go to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction, and we were with Dr. Michael Colburn and his book, Own Your Job. But before we before we went here on break a little bit, uh, there was something that struck me that I wanted to kind of just kind of take a stab at as we're talking about these whys and why I should do this. And I'm just, uh, you know, I'm wondering if there's people, when you start saying, you know, you're going to have these interviews, I wonder if there are I know there are. I'm not wondering. I know that there are people who have, are ready to come up with the following excuses. And so I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate with you with okay. some phrases that you've probably heard 6,000 or a million times. I am not going to do an interview with my boss. I, if you expect me to take ownership of my job by interviewing my boss and expecting me to, I'm sorry, serve after the way he or she has treated me, um, Doc, you you need to get checked in. What do you say to that one? Uh, so what's your alternative? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great answer. And, and the other thing is that, um, well, I tell the story sometimes, you know, when I went to school, when, especially went back to graduate school, uh, I would love to have a great professor. However, I was not going to let the quality of the professor impact my learning. Right. 
Same thing with the boss. I look back at my, my career as having bosses. I've had a couple really good ones. One really bad one, <laughs> you know, and everyone else in between. I'm not going to let the quality of my boss affect my performance. Mm. That's really my answer. If you're if you're turning it over to the boss and all and I'm even going to say everything you say about the boss is probably correct, but I can't do anything about that. If you allow that to affect your performance, it's your it's your problem. Right. Here's there's another piece to all of this that you talk about and that you actually kind of referenced is, you know, our customer. And, you know, I have, I, I can hear people right now who say, well, you know, I'm just, I just work in reception. You know, I, I'm, I'm just a receptionist. I really don't have customers, so to speak. I really don't have a vendor, so to speak, you know, so I don't really have a customer, Doc. Of course you do. Matter of fact, there's two things that kind of came up from this. I always ask people, says, I always define um, people in an organization. So you do have customers because the customer is anybody you provide a product or service to, whether it's information, whether it's a physical product or not. So I ask him, he says, and I'll have him draw a circle. I'll put your name in it and your position in it. And I have lines off of that circle. Who are the people you deal with on a, on a daily basis? You know, some of them are people who directly receive your service. Some of them are people that you work with to get a service. And other people are people provide resources to you. Oh, and by the way, your boss probably isn't your, your customer. Your boss is probably your supplier. Ah, <laughs> so, now, they still have a responsibility right, right. Of, of, of accountability. So I'm not saying that. Um, and so the interesting thing that you, you bring up with being the receptionist. And, and so who are your customers? Who do, you, who do you talk to all the time? Well, people come in, you know, who are clients or vendors or things like that. And then they're getting information back to other people. And I just ask them to uh, identify those key relationships. And I use that term. Then I'll say, well, what is it that you provide them? You know, mm. and and what value are you creating for them? And everybody can answer that question. I've never had anyone that can answer that question. Never, never. So I had an interesting, I, I you know, I had an interesting thought mm. process come up, and I want to get your thoughts on this because you said, well, you know, you're you're. Your boss may not be your customer, but I kind of, I want to push back a little bit if you're okay, because I'm kind of wondering if he isn't. And matter of fact, I'm going to kind of wonder if he's not my number one customer, because ultimately, if I'm serving the company in the right way, I am I not ultimately serving who my boss is? And if, if wherever I'm at in the chain of command is I'm delivering some sort of a product or a service, isn't my service to whoever my directly report to, isn't it to that person who either signs my checks or, you know, um, has a piece of my job? I've always said about my marriage, my number one customer in my marriage is my wife, right? She's my number, she's my number one customer. If I take care of my number one customer, right? And I've thought about this in terms of jobs too. And I was thinking about this in your book. If my boss is my number one customer, and if I thought of him that way, 
would my job be a little bit better or a lot better? Well, let me push back a little bit on that one. Good, good. Um, the only one that I would say that would be, uh, you might have an administrative assistant whose response who provides services to the boss. Sure. That might be the customer. Okay. But but otherwise, uh, if I'm uh, ultimately, whatever we do in organization has to fit the create value for the ultimate customer outside. So what I ask people to do is what's the chain between you and that outside person? And that's your internal customer. Mm. And maybe there are certain situations where the boss might be it, but typically it, it isn't so much, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, um, so the question is, what is the role in a self-managed culture between a job holder and their direct manager? Okay. And I would say that it's, it's even better than the customer thing. Your partners in performance, mm. because the job of a manager, a leader, and I had this is to remove obstacles from people's performance. So, so at, at, when you use the tools that I teach, I find it becomes a much more closer partnership, you know, that they have together in service of something that's beyond both of them. Mm-hmm. And I would even suggest uh, with you and your your wife, the way you treat treat her and you think of her, that you two are partners in whatever you're doing. And, and there's a mutual accountability. So there is an accountability, and it's not that we we dismiss the 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 boss, but we we see them in a different light. We see them as a partners. Yeah, I yeah I th- I think uh, no, I get what you're saying. I, I clearly do. But I wonder, I, I, there is a part of me that still wants to hold on to this. Going, you know what? If I, you know, I know that my job is to serve. At right. the end of the day, right? That's my job is to serve. I, 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 that that still ruminates in my brain. You you talk about three essentials for owning your job, and uh, you make a couple of comments. One is your, your professional life is important, but that's not your whole life. That's the first thing that you make right up front. But then you say the first essential, and I think this is where we get stuck, is you said the first essential is proactivity. And I think so often that we just wait for change to happen. But I, somewhere we've got to, you know, how do we get, how do we get people to, you know, cause I'm, I'm asked this question a lot as a coach, you know, how do I get people to be more proactive? Right. And I have, of course, my answers, but what do you, what do you, what do you do in your system to help people become more proactive in owning their job, stepping up to be a leader in their job, um, being better and being better in their service? Well, first, I, I want to make sure that the person understands what what proactive means. Okay. It's more than just taking initiative. Sometimes people will, will use those two terms interchangeably. It's really more than that. In my view, proactivity is the ability to make choices. Mm-hmm. That's the fundamental piece. Going back to Stephen Covey. Remember Stephen Covey? Oh, gosh, yes. Circle of inf- so, uh So – he said there's a circle of, of, of concern. Those are the things, that's all the stuff that's going on in our world, right, around us, you know. It could be in your job or just in, 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 in the world. And some of the stuff there that if you feel kind of difficult or, or frustrated because there's a lot of stuff going on that you can't do anything about. Right. 
Then it, Stephen also talked about there's a smaller circle in there. It's called a circle of influence. That's the stuff that you care about or it's important to you that you can do something about. So what I have found, because that's in the first chapter of my book, I find what happens when you find yourself in a situation where you can't do anything about it, apparently, where you don't feel like you can even make choices. So there's three fundamental questions that we have to ask. Not what is wrong. Why, why do I feel so bad I can't do anything? Mm. So what is it you care about that's causing you this frustration? Well, I care about my children. I care about success of the organization. I care about a whole bunch of stuff. Then the second question is a powerful question. So what can you do about that? Mm. Jay, people can always answer that question. I always say a small can is better than a big cannot. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> and then what happens is, and I tell stories in my book about that. And then the, the third question, which is the most powerful question after that is, of all the cans, what will I do? And I think the word will is powerful mm. because that that is ownership. Right. And so by going from the frustration to the can, to the will, you can you can translate things into into action, and that's a powerful feeling you you have. And what happens is when I do that, because I get the same feelings everybody else does. Right. You know, when I do that, it it tends to remember the cubby's circle. It tends to make that circle of influence grow. You know, I, you know. Here's the thing about those three questions, and I love these three questions, and I hope people wrote, wrote these down and I'm going to kind of review them again, but I think one of the things that happens in these three questions that we need to ask to get inside our circle of influence, that first question, what do I care about? I think you got to get honest, first of all, with that. Right. Be, and, and, and even if it sounds selfish, you have got to be honest with, if you say, you know what I care about? I care about me and what I want. And if that's, and I, I think it's, you have to get down to that level of honesty, being able to look at yourself. I mean, if that's what it is, it's what it is, right? And so, I mean, we we I think we have to be, we have to be really honest with if you if you're if you care about money and that's what you care about, then that's what you care about. This isn't we're not talking about something bigger and magnanimous that is ethereal and out there. We're talking about just being, okay, what is it that you really care about? And then what can I do? I think this is a place where they, people got to get honest too, because they short side themselves so quickly because they immediately go, well, there's nothing because they get their amygdala gets hijacked in the middle of the brain, their emotions take over and they go, there's nothing I could do. Nothing I can do. Nothing. I, I'm stuck here. Right. That's not the question. The question is, okay, well, well, what can you do, right? And people shut down. I have had clients, coaching clients, who, you know, will say, throw up their arms and go, I don't know what to do anymore. And I'll say, well, what can you do? I can't do anything. I mean, it's, it's like it's a reflex action. Right. Well, that's why the first question is important, is to have a real discussion about what's really important to you, what you really care about. And, and I really find that deep down in people, I feel bad about that 90-year-old person that you... <laughs> I do too. Deep down in people, um, you know, unless you have some really deep 
psychological problems. Right. People can discover something beyond themselves. And and what happens is the per, the person who says, well, I only care about money, what they have is they have a very small universe around right. them, right? right? That circle is, it, it goes out three feet from them. And, and I'm not sure if someone is in that situation, I can help them that much um, at that point, except to have them think through uh, uh, have them question their own values. Right. So how does that make you feel? And I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a therapist, right. but in many ways, uh, I feel I, I'm a therapist for the fundamentally healthy person. <laughs> well, I think you're more than that. I think you're self-sorting yourself there because I mean, listen, as a psychological professional, I'm just saying to you that this book is, I think one of the most healthy uh, for people, regardless of where they're at on the scale. Right. I, I think what happens with anyone is even as even as someone who has done therapy, you know, I can only help you so far. You've got to kind of help me, too. I right. mean, at the end of the day, you, you know, you got you got to make you got to do your part. I can't just fix you. Right. I'm not right. I'm not a surgeon here. OK, that can repair a, a bone or, you know, do some internal surgery. The, the best that I can do is I can get you to a place, but you got to meet me part of the way. Right. I mean, and that's really what you're talking about here. Exactly. And it's being brutally honest because by being brutally honest with people, and if it's done in their best interest, it might sting them a little bit, you know, yeah. but at the same time, because I guess I believe that deep down, most people do, they haven't let that purpose in their life quite bubble up. Right. You know, what is it that really brings meaning to your life, you know, and what, what's really important to you? What is it that brings joy to you? And and uh, if you can answer those questions, all of a sudden that circle gets start getting a little bit bigger, you know. And then uh, one of the things I ask people to do when I'm working with them on the pr preliminary stuff before I even get to the interviews, um, one thing I found there's a lot of good assessments out, and I and I use a lot of myself, but I have one thing I ask people to rate, write a success story. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. We're going to do a teaser right here, right? Okay. We're going to do a teaser on writing your success story because we're going to talk about that. You're listening to Dr. Michael Colburn and his book, Own Your Own Job, and it's so much more than that, right here on A New Direction. Hey, everyone. Uh, Epic Physical Therapy. They offer the most advanced, top-of-the-line equipment, including things like the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill, the Normatec compression sleeves, which is which is kind of cool. The game ready, I talk about a lot. Ice cold water, reduce the swelling. Oh, I love it. And then, you know what? They are trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available. Things like blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, cupping. You know what? They, they're just trained. They're awesome. They're amazing. I'm just telling you, they, they really are. And they get me back to getting back to where I need to be. So when you're ready for your epic relief, epic recovery, epic results, go where the pros go. Go where everybody goes. Go start with Epic Physical Therapy. You can learn more by going to EpicPT.com. That's Epic. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors for over 35 years. The top of the real estate game. You know what they do? They, they, they've, they've done relationships with their family. Matter of fact, Linda's first client back in 1985, first client, still comes to see her. First client, 
why does your first client from 36 years ago continually come to see you on a regular basis? Well, it's not because they've sold the home for 36 years every year. It's because there's something that goes beyond the home, and it was her and the relationship that she created. And that's why her clients keep coming back. That's why her clients keep referring. That's why, regardless of where you're at in the world, she can actually help you because she is independently owned and operated and is connected to to the best professionals, not part of the company because she is her own company, but the best professionals wherever you're at in the world. So when you're ready to sell your home, buy your home, start with the relationship maker, the one that her past clients say she's a legend when it comes to customer service. Talk to Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. So we're back here on A New Direction, and we're with Dr. Michael Colburn. And uh, we did a little teaser here because the, the, I love, you know, I do a, I do a talk um, that I've done at several places called, you know, More Than a Story, uh, An Unexpected Life, Be Your Own Hero. And uh, when you started this whole thing on this this story, the stories are extraordinarily powerful. So I'm going to let you go. Let's talk about, you know, um, the stories and how we get that started, what we need to do, and how we should be thinking about that. Well, one thing is uh, before I ever, ever get him into the tools, and if you notice the first two or three chapters of the book, we don't talk about any tools at all. Right, right. And, and it's really dealing with what you've been bringing up here in terms of, because I think it's, we have to acknowledge and accept our own strengths and values. Oh yeah. What's important to us because it's a strength-based approach. I think overcoming weaknesses sometimes can be a, a waste of time. Accepting our limitations is important. <laughs> well, there, there was a whole movie with Clint Eastwood. I, I can't remember which one of the dirty Harry's it was, but he, I mean, he ends the movie with a man's going to know his limitations, right? I mean, that's the, that's the, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, because the truth of the matter is you can only, you can only bring your weaknesses up so much, right? I mean, and it, and it becomes such a waste of time because oh, I got to bring that, I got to be better at my weakness. No, just, you can only do so much with that. So focus on your strengths. So I'm right with you on this one, doc. Oh, so the one thing I, I found is when I'm start, starting to work with somebody um, and I say, well, I want you to write a story and I have them do this on a series of, of times. Tell me, a, write a story about something you really did well, you feel, feel real good about. It could have been happened. It could have happened last week. It could have happened 10 years ago. It could have been something when you were a kid. Just write that story and don't write a generalized story. Give me specific things. Okay. What did you do? You know, and I haven't write that. And then I have them all write another. I just have them write a series of stories about things they were successful about. And I said, it doesn't even have to be work. It could be anything. And then I, I have them look at those stories and that's all I say. Then I have them look at those stories and I said, now detach yourself from them. Let's say you're reading this about somebody else. What are you seeing coming out of these stories? And I'll say, you know, every time I'm successful, there are certain themes that keep coming up, you know? Mm. And those themes are very often talents and very often talents that we're even kind of almost unaware of, mm. you know? And I want them to discover those talents 
and turn them into strengths. You know? And when we're most satisfied with our work, it's when we, it's not, has less to do with the company, it has more to do, am I able to use my strengths to, to achieve my purpose? And I, I, I teach them how to do an anal- a content analysis of their own words and underline things. And I'll look at them too. So if they miss something, I'll say, you know, Jay, everything you're saying is good, but I saw something else there mm. that I haven't heard you talk about, you know? Every time you're successful, there's something about how you interacted with certain interpersonal skills that I'm not sure if you're even aware of, you know. And so and out of that is that's a really uplifting thing because it is truly and honest and it's their own stories to do that. Then when I have them interview some of their people, even before the interviews, I say, go and talk to people who know you and ask them, what what do I do well? What Mm. am I good at? You know, mm. and that's an uplifting thing. So that helps kind of uh, overcome that feeling of I can't do anything because they've already identified things that they were very successful at. And so having them being aware of their strengths and their passions is the first step, because we can't if we can't get beyond that, all the tools I'm going to teach won't do any good at all. I, listen, I have interviewed a lot of people who've talked about talents on the show. And they say something very similar to what you just said, and they'll even take it a step further. So often, we we don't even recognize our talent because we're so nonchalant about them. Absolutely. We we we, we don't even we don't even we don't think they're a talent because it comes so easy, right. Regar- regardless of what it is, right? I mean, if if, if I, this show, this show, and I'm not please people, I'm not bragging, but this show. I should have known because it's natural for me. I have never taken I have never taken a broadcasting class. I have never taken any sort of interviewing class. I've never taken anything. Ever. Right. Ever. I've never run a studio. I've never I have been on the radio, but I've never done this before. This comes so naturally to me, and people can't see it, but there are three monitors, two computers. And a, a board right in front of me here, and I am handling all of this stuff myself, and I'm loving it. And there's a big sign in front of me that says, have fun. That's great. Right? And here's here's what I didn't realize. When I went back through my story, and I did this, I went back and I wrote my story, I started to find themes that were like, do you remember when you and your friends used to play TV announcers? Do you remember being an actor on stage? Do you remember... Right throughout my entire life, there was all of this stuff of being in front of audiences, being in front of audiences, being in front of audiences, and then there was this: you were always a learner, you always loved to read, you always loved to do. It was just part of your natural talent. I can't go to school to learn to read. I mean, you do maybe when you're grade school, but nobody puts that passion in you to want to read a book like Own Your Own Job. Nobody does that. But when I went back and I started looking, that's when the talents emerged. And when we are doing what we're talented for, and this is exactly what you're saying, when we are doing what fits within our talents, man, we're happy. Absolutely. And without it, you know, we may work hard and get by, but I tell you, you know, I, I told one person, remember, I had an interview, my first podcast interview I had before I even talked to you, <laughs> you know, and I and I said a comment to this guy, he says, um, I can't remember. A bad day I had at work. Mm. I remember some 
tough moments right. and some struggles, but I can't remember that. So I'm the luckiest guy in the world yeah. who is actually get, gets to do things that is fun. You know, when I first start writing the book, before I knew I was going to write the book and I was writing about this stuff, the first line that came out to me was this. Work ought to be fun. Yeah. I feel so bad for people who say, thank God it's Friday. You know, there's nothing wrong with, I love, I love to play and all that sort of thing there, you know, but I love, I love my job and I'm not a workaholic, you know? And, and I think that helping people to find out what their true love is in their work and everything else. And those other areas that in your work that you come up with, you start every show with, you know, when you find your passions in each one of those and your own uniqueness about that, that is fun. And when you're having fun, that's when you're creative and that's when you kind of get beyond your ego because you don't need the ego feeding because you know, you're doing, you're living the life you're supposed to live. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you're doing what you're supposed to, you know, that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Right. And, 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 and I feel bad for people who don't, feel that way. And so by helping them discover their talents and strengths, and you're absolutely right, a talent are, are those underlying things that happen that make you a good broadcaster. The talent isn't being a broadcaster. The talent is all the stuff that right. makes you a good broadcaster, right? Right. Like uh, a great golfer, a Tiger Woods talent is not golfing. Right. I hit coordination. There might be a whole bunch of stuff that bubbles up into golfing, right? Right. You know? And, and I found out myself, someone asked me, you know, if you weren't doing what you were doing now, what would you be doing? You know, well, if you just pick a couple other jobs, right. I took it as, okay, I have to do something that I'm talented at, not something I like to be talented at. Right. And, and I came up with two items, which okay. kind of surprised me. If I weren't doing what I'm doing now, I would either be a research person, research scientist, because oh. I'm very good diagnostics. Right. Or I'd be a stand-up comedian. Do you know I did stand-up comedy? I I used to. <laughs> well, I wasn't good. I wasn't very good I, at I it, but I did it. Comedy. Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in my in, in uh, my five, uh, when I got my bachelor's degree, it uh, first two years is pre-engineering, and then three years your specialty. So you're. I was in small class. I went from a big university, high state university to a small college called industrial engineering department. And so we had 12 minutes between classes. And of course, getting across the campus, you're lucky to get there, but I only had to work from one room to the other. So between classes, I used to do stand-up routines about the, about the other, about the faculty. And I would, in, I would entertain my class on, I would, you know, cause some of them had just, there are certain things that were just right. easy to do, you know? Right. And I would just, I would just, I do about a 10 minute thing between classes on the professor that was going to come in, you know? And then they asked me, we had a, a banquet every year. So then I became the, with some other people, the, the entertainment of the banquet, you know, right. that was so much fun, you know? And, and I, and I used to write, even in my first work, I used to write songs at parodies of songs, uh, that were, uh, uh, like one was, if I said, remember, I had a hammer. Yes. If I, if I had a stopwatch, you know, and I had things like that. But <laughs> it was so much fun. And humor is part of my life, and it comes out of my family. Right. We had a very humorous family, you know. And I find my – and teaching, I never try to be humorous, but it always happens, you know. So anyway. You know, I, I wonder, you just said something here that just triggered something. 
I wonder if you and I have a book in us that focuses on if you're not laughing at your job, there's something wrong. That's a great title of, of, of one. It acts up in. If you're not laughing and you're in your job, there's something wrong. Because I, if, you know, I have been in places where there is just no laughter because certain people or bosses or whatever have made things so strict or it's become so structured that they don't allow laughter. And, and I know that you put in this book, you have talked about in this book, that there's there should be laughter. There should be joy. There should be happiness. There should be in your job. I wonder if there's I wonder if there's I wonder if there's something in there, Mike. That I think so. That I tell you that would be fun to to, uh, to collaborate on and write on. You know. Yeah, because I think there's something there, right? And and it. Uh, uh, I had one situation when I was working my first job. And it was very hierarchical type. Of, it was a manufacturing company, very hierarchical. But I learned a lot. And so uh, our boss, which was a great department head, about once a month we'd have a meeting of all of us. But it wasn't your typical staff meeting. He would let kind of anybody make a presentation on anything they want to do, you know, or they're learning. And so, especially us young guys, we'd come up with things, different ways to collect data, or different ways to analyze things. And so I I did one where. Um, uh, I came up with a whole different way to collect information data. It was much more efficient. And and the boss really liked it, and he took it to his boss, to his boss, and, and they asked me to be part of a team to write a manual on what I did. And so we had different people from plants come together and writing a manual based on this thing I came up with. And so, so I, I was kind of the lead person on it. We wrote this manual, and then it was – then they finally passed it out. This was a very hierarchical company. And they said, they're only going to give it to uh, full industrial engineers. At that time, I was a junior industrial engineer. So I was ineligible to get a copy of the book I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, my boss gave it to me. He says, well, and they let me know. says, we're giving you this copy because you wrote it, but not because your position, you know. <laughs> now, now, most people, now, most people would get ticked off at that, right? Right. Let me tell you how I handled it. I I wrote a song, a parody. Remember the Green Green Beret? Oh yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, I do I remember the Green Beret. So I I wrote the ballad of the Green Beret. I would I said the ballad of the Green Manual because it was all in the Green Manual. <laughs> so I wrote the ballad <laughs> of the Green Manual, you know, and because that was my way. So I I, I took something that it kind of ticked me off and I made a parody of it and I showed it to the other, uh, to, to many of the engineers around, That's especially awesome. the young guys that like that. That was my way of coping. And it was kind of funny because first thing it had nothing to do with me really. Right. right. Is the organization was very tight and stuff like that, you know? Wow. And, and so I found myself doing that. And my, my guess is you have stories like that yourself, you I, know, in terms of how you dealt with things. I, I do. But the problem <laughs> is we've been on an hour. <laughs> obviously time management is one of your <laughs> no time management is not a talent that i have that's absolutely true but we, oh my we this has gone fast as always it's so good to have you on um and, you i know, love talking with you i, I yeah. love talking with you you know we you've done this before right it's called a new direction if you can leave people with a new direction uh what would be 
uh, a new direction from Dr. Michael uh, Colburn, author of Own Your Job. What would be your new direction for the folks? It's just for them or for me? For them. If you could leave them with a new direction right. based on Own Your Own Job, what would you leave them with? First thing I would I would leave them with is to acknowledge and embrace your talents and strengths mm. because that's the only thing that's going to get you ahead and just and it's not it's not this don't not this false modesty but acknowledge that you know in in the Bible they said love your neighbor as yourself mm. that presumes you love yourself mm. it, it's not selfish you know and and I think to to be able to love yourself gives you the opportunity to give out to other people and uh, and then answer the question, what is it that makes me laugh? What is it that brings me joy? Mm-hmm. You know, and and and, to, and I was telling you about my new grandson, you know, I mean, that that, that is a joyful thing. And even when he's kind of crying and stuff like that, you know, you know, what I found was joyful. And I'm, I'm talking about myself. I'm finding I was carrying him the other night around my shoulder. And I felt him relax. Mm. He wasn't, he didn't go to sleep. He just relaxed. Mm. That is a moment of joy. Yeah. He he was so comfortable with me holding him in terms of doing that. So find your talents and strength, acknowledge them, you know, and then then just ask yourself one question. What can I do in my current job that will emphasize the strength more? Awesome. Just one thing. That's awesome. That's what I leave for. It's awesome. His name is Dr. Michael Colburn. Book is entitled Own Your Job. Folks, you know what I say? You might be inspired because when you're inspired, that means you can inspire others. And when they're inspired, that means they'll inspire others in turn. You know what? And that's going to make this world a great place. I promise you it will. I'm going to be back next week. Another great guest with another great book. You know what it's going to be? Another great show. See? Just how it happens. And you know what as I say to you every week, right? Ciao, everybody. Got to keep your hope alive. You got to know you can survive. This is your time to find a new direction, a brand new day. A new direction, things are gonna change. You can find the strength to go a different way. Dreams will take you places you have never been before Find your passion, find your strength